Hey everyone, I swear this is take one. I am Peter, that is Tim, and we talk about horror movies on this show. And on this episode, we are going to be discussing the zombie classic Dawn of the Dead from 1978. Of course, this is a continuation of sorts of uh, one of last week's episodes. We talked about Night of the Living Dead because George A. Romero passed away the previous weekend to that. Uh, and we decided we were going to work through the, the entire trilogy. So day is coming sometime next week. You can look forward to that. Uh, but so this is Dawn. You know, we had a good time talking about de- uh, night. Uh, and never, you know, have, I, I was going to say dead there. I was going to say, oh, we had a good time talking about dead. <laughs> no, night. A good time talking about that. Mm-hmm. But so we talked about Dawn, which of course is the famous one that takes place almost entirely. Well, that's quite a lot of setup. There was, there was more setup getting to the mall than I remembered, but it's, it takes yeah. place in a shopping mall. That's the, the main setting of the movie. And it's, we've got four main characters, and they kind of shit's kind of going down. The zombie apocalypse is really starting to look like it's kind of no turning back, and they decide to race off to the shop. Well, they're just sort of going search of anything. They don't really know where they're going, but they come across this shopping mall. They end mm-hmm. up deciding to stay there and clear it out and sort of make it a home. And that's kind of the movie. That's that's what it is. So mm. I'm just going to give you a spoiler warning right here, right now. Mm. If you haven't seen Dawn of the Dead, see Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should see it. If you're a horror yes. fan and you haven't seen the original Dawn of the Dead, just go see it. And if a horror fan, zombie fan, you know, even if you don't like zombies, I would say this is like essential horror viewing. Yeah, it's because much like Night, there's a lot of social commentary going on. There's a lot of like mm. subtext to to the, to the film itself. Um, the, just actually, although one point I want to make here, actually, uh, just as we're talking about, because uh, right now what we are saying to people is, if you've not seen this, go see it, you filthy <laughs> casuals. That's essentially what our message is right now. I will admit there's a caveat in that message. Oh? There is a caveat. Uh, it oh. may actually be quite difficult for you to go and see this right now, oh. because currently it's not available for rental, like streaming-wise anywhere, you know, on video on mm-hmm. demand. Uh, it's not in print on Blu-ray or DVD or any formats. Now, you can obviously find it used in places, uh, and depending on the format, you may get it at a decent price. And, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, I mean, I, I've got the, uh, the the Blu-ray that came out like 10 years ago now, and uh, that's, that's how I was watching it. But uh, Dawn of the Dead right now is, despite being this classic film that everyone knows about, you can't actually acquire it. It's not in print. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, it, it's really strange. I was, you know, um, once uh, Romero passed away, you know, uh, um, it's very unfortunate. But And then, you know, one of the first things you want to do is kind of, you know, watch his movies. And uh, I have Night and Dawn on DVD. And I was kind of like, you know, I think it's about time I upgraded these to Blu-ray. Uh, but they're they're both kind of hard to find. Um, now, like Night, I don't think is impossible, but it's yeah. Night had a 4K restoration uh, recently, I believe. It's finally coming out soon uh, to theaters. Oh, okay. uh, so that probably should pop up soon after. In fact, uh, Janus Films, who did it, typically have their movies go to Criterion. So there's a very Ooh. reasonable chance that. Night will get a criterion. Oh, right. Hold on, that yeah. Uh, sometime maybe next year or something like that. But uh, Dawn's a different case though, because I actually just found out this recently. I couldn't tell you the name of the guy, uh, but the producer, whoever owns the rights to Dawn, because I think it's also Martin as well. I think Martin's also tied up in this. Uh, the producer mm-hmm. of Dawn, uh, the reason why there's no versions of it is basically because the guy who owns the rights is asking for so much money to license it out that no uh. one's willing to pay for it, and that's why there's no way to like, get a new copy of it right now man so uh, 
Uh, that stuff really uh, annoys me. It's purely greed, especially when you think yeah. about how there's no other classics like that that are tied up mm-hmm. in that sense. Yeah. Like you can at least rent them on Amazon or iTunes or something like that. You know, they're not. I, w- I wonder how much he's asking for because even if he didn't ask for a lot, he'd probably still make a ton of money because they, you know, if, if he's getting like a, you know, whatever a percentage or something of. I don't know if he gets like a small take of you know, no, stuff streaming, that's sold or well it's sold possibly but I don't th- streaming definitely doesn't work that way it's just a flat fee you mm. pay you pay for it you pay to get it for like a year say like you know Netflix will oh, okay. pay yeah. pay the movie studio or we'll pay you x thousands or x millions mm-hmm. for this movie for one year or two years whatever the contract is and then they've got it for a year in the service that's how that that works there's okay. no there's no per viewing like income yeah. Well, it's like whatever he's doing, though, he's, he's you're obviously not making any money by not doing it. Like, you know, I, I understand, it, you know, if he's greedy or whatever, he wants some money, fine. But after a while, you got to be like, hey, don't you at least want something <laughs> instead of nothing? You would, you would think so. It's it's, it's really strange. Um, I, 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 I mean, I, I really, I, I'm only, I only know this from like secondhand information. I have no great insight mm-hmm. to what's going on. I just yeah. that's what I heard. I heard, I heard that whoever owns the rights to Don. Uh, is being stingy with uh, giving them out, and as a result, there's no current version. Because uh, it was with Anchor Bay for years. Anchor Bay put out a few versions mm-hmm. of it uh, on DVD, I, and then the early Blu-ray was also Anchor Bay. Yeah, I I gotta say I do really like the DVD I got. I got the big like four disc one, mm. and it looks pr- it looks really nice. But uh, you know, obviously, you want the blu-ray yeah the, it's, it's 2017 so now yeah. it's like yeah time, times went on <sighs> um i had that for this dvd actually uh back mm-hmm. when and i got the blu-ray so i just replaced it mainly because the extras i cared about were also still in the blu-ray it didn't have the ultimate cuts but mm-hmm. honestly because like, i mean she's explaining this just off the bag so we'll explain the different cuts as i'm talking about this but uh so there's the extended cut uh, which is not the, a director's cut. Uh, this is something that I remember Romero talking about in the the commentaries or whatever. Is uh, the extended cut has some extra stuff in it, and it's fine. Like he's he's not against people watching that version, but it's not like the one he released in theaters is the one that he, you know, that that was his version. Yeah. Uh, see, I actually watched the extended cut, and yeah, I could kind of feel like yeah, the um, definitely. It's, all, it's already a pretty long movie for a horror movie. It's like two hours and seven minutes. So it's yeah. For a horror movie, it's, that's quite lengthy already. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I feel like it, it seemed kind of unnecessary. Like when I watched it, I, you know, I don't know the movie, you know, scene by scene or anything, but there wasn't really anything that stood out to me as as being like, oh my god, uh, this crazy new scene that wasn't in the original version. You know, I, I imagine it's. I don't know. If, I think I did watch the extended cut when I had that DVD. But I think I maybe only watched it with the commentary track that was on that version. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really remember it, but I feel like it was mostly probably just extra stuff with them, like faffing around I, in the mall. And I, I feel like, like there had to have been a good portion of it maybe in the beginning. Cause the, Possibly. I, I think the beginning is like, um, it, it does always surprise me how long it takes them to get to the mall. But it's funny I, actually because I, think... I, I checked the time. See, see when you first see the mall mm-hmm. and they're in the helicopter? I checked the time, what was that? It was at 27 minutes on the theatrical cut. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is fine. Like, I actually don't have a problem with that. It's just, it's just. Mm-hmm. I think your mind, in your, like, in your head, when you think back to it, you think of it being really quick to get to the mall and then the whole movie's in the mall. But when you actually yeah. watch it now, it's like, oh no, it actually takes a little bit of time to get there. 
Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, like you, I don't really have a problem with the beginning. Um, I, I still enjoy that stuff. But yeah, it does. Uh, you do always go like, oh, wow, this is longer than I expected. And then the third cut of the film, which was in that box set, is the Italian cut. Now, obviously, this is quite prominent because in Italy, it was called Zombie. Uh, <laughs> without the E, just Zombie with the I. And that is why we have Zombie 2 which is technically a sequel to the Italian version of Dawn of the Dead, <laughs> uh, directed by Lucio Fulci, which we've not done in this uh, show, but we will at some point, I promise mm-hmm. you that. Yeah. But uh, that that one's notable because it has a different, like, it was re-edited completely. Uh, was it Argento who edited it? I, I may have been. I, I think so. I, I know he was involved in the movie somehow. He was involved, I yeah. yeah. He definitely produced the, like, the Italian version of it. I don't know if he was the one actually making the, the choices with the cut, but... It also had a different score, uh, which oh. is the other notable thing. So, and I, I remember mm. checking that one out when I had the DVD just because I wanted to hear the different music because I, I was curious. Uh, yeah, I watched that um, at some point. It's been way too long now, but mm. uh, yeah, I remember checking all those out. And then, um, yeah, it's a pretty good box set. They they have those versions, and then they do have a uh, quite a good number of special features. Yeah, which um, I. I I always want to watch more special features, but I feel like I never have time. But this was one that, when I was kind of looking at, I was like, you know, I should probably sit down and watch these again. Uh, it's especially, yeah. You know, I, I think for me, yeah. it always comes down to I, I like extras. I, I like commentary mm-hmm. tracks, and I like you know, media making of documentaries. But mm-hmm. often it'll come down to, well, do I want to watch the commentary on this movie or just watch another movie I've not seen yet? <laughs> and usually, yeah. it kind of. I feel like that's a, yeah, a big problem within like the last maybe. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, maybe like six, seven years or so where there's so much stuff that's available now and there's so much streaming stuff where I used to like rewatch movies all the time and watch special features and stuff. It is. And... Do, do you know what it is? It's because you had like, I mean, even if you had a lot of movies on like DVD, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to say Blu-ray specifically because that's kind of verging into streaming sort of time yeah. period, but like you'd have, like even if you had like 500 movies, you know, you you wouldn't necessarily have new ones to watch until you bought some right. more. So you might, mm-hmm. oh, you might go back and look at some extras. You might go back and rewatch stuff more often than you do now. Whereas now it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I can just spend a couple of dollars on Amazon and rent a new movie that I've not seen. Yeah. And then I always have the problem where I feel like I'm missing out. Like, oh, if I'm watching this thing I've already seen, then I could be missing a really great new movie that, you know, is just got released on Shudder or yeah, Netflix or something. It's all about balance, Tim. You just have to yeah. balance yourself, uh, and obviously, every so often you get the itch. You want to go back and revisit something. Mm. Uh, the, the one good thing about this now is not rewatching stuff as often. Is that I find that if five years passes between watches, that it is actually really exciting to go back and watch it because I'll remember the gist of the movie. I'll remember yeah. what the, the core plot is and the core ideas, but I'll have forgotten just so much, so many little, little moments that it'll actually be this weird, almost nostalgia thing where as they happen, I remember mm-hmm. them and I'll be like, oh. That bit and yeah. that bit, and, uh, so. Definitely. But yeah, so that, that, that was a tangent on the the releases. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's actually hard to get a hold of uh, now. You can get obviously used copies, but otherwise mm-hmm. it's quite difficult. Uh, that said, it's worth hunting if you you know keep keep your eye out if you if you've mm-hmm. not seen the movie. Uh, but Dawn of the Dead. Definitely. Uh, so that's that's get into it, I guess. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so I would I would say uh, movies set in a shopping mall and. Much like the first movie was definitely had social commentary with uh, some Vietnam 
uh, racial mm-hmm. tension, all those kind of things. This one, there's still some of some of those elements in here, but it definitely mm-hmm. shifts to a, a different message where it's more about uh, consumerism and mm-hmm. capitalism and kind of basically people not paying attention to the actual problems that are going on and distracting themselves with those kinds of things, distracting themselves yeah. with frivolous, you know, uh, physical products and so on. I I feel like you you get a little. Um... I, I feel like the consumerism is probably the main uh, social commentary. Uh, again, though, talking about the beginning, I always kind of forget that stuff, though. I, I feel like there's a lot you can really glean from that, though. Like, it's like, you know, you can kind of get, like, some police brutality stuff, uh, yeah. like some, like, economic stuff. But yeah, there's, there's definitely some other stuff mixed in there, certainly towards the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, because obviously you have, you have the scenes we open with... Uh, the you know Francine, who's our, our one of our main four characters, she mm-hmm. she works at this uh, TV station and they're doing news and they're putting out all these emergency bulletins and all these various things mm-hmm. and stuff. Like people are starting to leave their job and just leave because like, what's the point anymore? Like the world's ending, yeah. and that that sets up that society's breaking down. And then again with this this like SWAT team where you know Peter and uh, what's his name Roger come from, like our two mm-hmm. of our other main characters. They they like, go in and there's this hothead who's basically just losing his mind and starts like killing people. He he blows one mm-hmm. guy's head off with a shotgun. It's like one of these big effects moments, and he's just completely losing his mind to the point where the other cops have to put him down. Mm-hmm. And then another cop like commits suicide because he realizes there's, like there's so much going on, and it was kind of like it's society again, much like the first movie was ultimately mm-hmm. human. Other human beings are what causes the demise of everything. It's kind of the same in this, but even at the end of the movie, it's the other human beings that are alive, the bikers, uh, that yeah. come in and actually destroy everything. So, you know, it's human beings, again, that are the actual real enemy of the, the, yeah. the movie. You know what this beginning kind of feels like to me? Like, it, the beginning feels very much like it's still Night of the Living Dead. And then, like, once they get to the mall, like, to me, it feels like that's almost when, like, all right, Dawn of the Dead is starting now. Like, it seems like it's, like, this little, like, bridge gap between the two movies yeah i can kind of see that it is i mean partly because it's set at night at the start <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then we go i mean admittedly it goes through day and night before we get to mm-hmm. uh the mall but you have them leaving at night in the helicopter and it ends up being those four characters francine with her her boyfriend uh steven and then you've got roger and peter from the spot and uh, they they leave and there's some great little things in here about um about consumerism, uh, there's, there's this other cop who's asked because he wants to smoke, and he's asking them if if, if they've got any, and he, he and they all say no, and as soon as he leaves and they start flying off, they all light up, like they all like except <laughs> from Peter. Peter's just kind of watching, and he sort of smirks like that they all lied and kept yeah. kept stuff for themselves, and that's a big theme of this movie as well. I mean, that's part of the consumerism, obviously, but this idea of the selfish, no, 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 I have mine, I'm not <laughs> giving you any, I'm not helping you. Uh, yeah. And there's a, there's a real battle of humanity in, in the, the core of the movie, uh, and the 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 opening like getting there is like is it just this because again like you say like it still kind of feels like night. There's a there's a little montage where they fly over and we see like the the, the hillbillies and stuff like going through the the woods, kind of like the end of Night of the Living mm-hmm. Dead. And I don't yeah. think it picks up right away. And I, I mean, it's funny because. I, I guess I kind of assume that uh, Night, Dawn, and Day are all part of the same universe, but at the same yeah. time, they don't need to be. Like this could just be another mm-hmm. universe with a zombie apocalypse going on, but it still kind of fits. Sure. So it's like, uh, but does it feel like ten years since Night 
and does the movie even say it's nineteen seventy eight? I'm not sure if it does, but uh, not to my knowledge. That said, though, so. they go to the the mall and there's like arcade games. I'm pretty sure those arcade machines weren't around in nineteen sixty eight. Yeah. So so it's definitely present day <laughs> when the the movie came out. Yeah. Uh, so no, so I I think I think a lot's great. And I, one of my favorite little uh, touches of this movie from a character perspective mm-hmm. is that. The characters who don't know each other right away definitely don't trust each other. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Stephen, aka Flyboy, which is what Peter calls him because he's the pilot of the, the helicopter. He, he, him and Peter don't really get along right away. It's not until they get to the mall and stuff starts going down, and, and he kind of saves him that they they kind of finally start to loosen up and the tension yeah. goes away and they, they feel that like they they work together. But one of my favorite things about the characters though is that the two that die, Stephen and Roger, both of them die, and it's their own fault. Both of them mm-hmm. cause their own demise, uh, which yeah. I think is a big, again, another big theme of the movie is that this is all happening. It's kind of our fault. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is our bad. We did this because uh, they, they both yeah. did it to themselves. R- Roger, he, he starts getting cocky. He starts thinking, oh, we're invincible. We, we can do anything we want. We, we have this mall. We found this utopia. And he gets cocky mm-hmm. to the point where he starts getting reckless. And that's what gets him bit uh, and ultimately leads to his death. Uh, and then likewise... Uh, Stephen, at the end of the movie when the bakers come in, you know Tom Savini comes in with his glorious mustache, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're like shooting the place up, they're killing zombies, and Stephen and Peter have a chance to just go and hide in their room, and mm-hmm. they would never be the wiser. You know they've built a fake wall so that no one knows their little hideaway is there, and yeah. Stephen doesn't. He doesn't make that choice. He 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 act, actively says, "This is ours." We found this. We we made this place, and then he yeah. starts a war. He actually starts shooting back at the people. He causes this this chain of events that leads to his own death. That's his fault because he doesn't want to give up mm-hmm. the 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 physical stuff that he's built up. Yeah, and it's yeah, kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier. How yeah, it, there's this kind of greed greediness aspect this kind of like oh we gotta kind of hoard and preserve everything um and when it's all about possessions yeah and and it's like in reality like it's a pretty big biker gang but still it's not like that many people like you're talking about an entire mall like there's way more than enough stuff for Mm. you know everyone to you know have Uh, and share absolutely because that's the other thing as well so because they find this utopia and they they make the choice not to leave. They they see what this mm-hmm. what this could be because they they could take what they want, and that's something that Francine like early on like she doesn't really want to stay as much as the other guys do, and she's like no we should fly we should go try and go to Canada and she, she wants to keep looking and mm-hmm. they make the conscious choice no no we're going to stay here we're going to build this up and we see them having their fun and they, they try on different things they're taking money out of the the tills and they're. They're you know they're doing all this stuff and there's all these montages. Once they actually clear out the zombies, where they're just enjoying the luxury of the mall yeah. and it's this you know commercialist stream. And don't get me wrong, <laughs> the idea of being left alone in an empty mall that's fully stocked, like everything sure. has all the stuff in it, and you can do what you want. Don't get me wrong, there is like a dreamlike mentality to that, and I think that's actually partly why this movie's so much fun. Because even mm-hmm. before you get to the subtext and what the movie's saying, it's just a fun idea. Oh yeah. Yeah, like it's a really great scene, and, and actually, one of the kind of weirder things uh, I, I like about zombie mo- movies is like I like the 
practicality of it. Like I like seeing people how they're going to like board stuff up, and uh, I like all the stuff with them, you know, blocking the exits, you know, yeah. with the trucks all, all and the strategy. I like the strategy element. Yeah. Yeah, because even earlier on, because at first, because they get into this back room, this storage room, and it's like, hey, you know, there's a lot of stuff down there. We could go down there and like get some stuff. You know, they're slow, obviously, so we can run around them. It's very strategic, and that's how it starts. It's just Peter and Roger going down to get some supplies, and they get the keys and they get into this department store, and they start doing this very smart thing where they run downstairs, make a lot of noise, so all the zombies will go down to that entrance, and they can go out the one they originally came in with their stuff, and they've got a wheelbarrow, and they're being very strategic and trying to work everything out. And it's all this... It's actually... It's funny how much of this uh, movie kind of makes me realise why I like a lot of certain video games. Um, <laughs> and... and and some of them are obvious. Obviously, you've got Resident Evil and stuff, which is inspired. Dead Rising, one of the things... Oh, I th- yeah. Dead Rising even had to put a disclaimer in its opening credits <laughs> that it wasn't like anything to do with Dawn of the Dead because it's, like, you know, it's a game with a zombies in a shopping mall. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things I actually think that game recreates a lot, and I, I realised it as I was watching Dawn of the Dead this time around, is this idea of the safe room that you've got one entrance to that you have to keep going oh, back yeah. to. Because that's in that game. You keep going back to that same like security room in that game, and it's kind of like here going back to this one stairwell. It's got this one little storage area, which yeah. you know over the course of the movie they sort of do up. Because by the time they get to the end of the movie, it's like a living room. They've got like, a TV. <laughs> they've got like nice sofas, and they've really made it homely. Uh, yeah. They've tried to keep keep a hold of the society that they they had before. That's really what they're trying to claw and do the whole movie. Is they try to keep that, mm. and ultimately, yeah. ultimately, it's not enough. Like they all get depressed, they they they, they get kind of suicidal and unhappy, and they, they, it's not enough. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that's fascinating to me that, that this wasn't enough. It's just a a mirage of what life used to be. This wasn't the important stuff. Was what the movie's ultimately saying. The important stuff was functioning and having each other and have, having a society. And then, yeah. So uh, uh, and good what, what's and what's funny is that they're they are doing like the same thing that the zombies are doing because um they mention like um i I, you know i think someone's like oh like why are the zombies like coming here and stuff and someone says like oh it must be like a part of their memories buried in their past like they have this kind of like uh which pays off fantastically at the end yeah (laughs) because when steven turns into a zombie he leads them to the secret entrance to the to where they Mm -hmm. are it pays off wonderfully to set that up it's really good yeah but yeah just like in the same way the zombies are trying to find some uh like you know familiarity by going to the mall and kind of they have these ingrained you know routines in their head you you know the survivors are doing the same thing they're you know trying to like you said like live comfortably and make like a nice little nest for themselves like um you know they're used to yeah it's it's and i I think as well with the bakers they're already so far gone where they are just wanting (laughs) to pillage and they're, they're just they're kind of the uh like the villains you expect in like a zombie apocalypse the human villains yeah, where they're just doing whatever they want, and I, I think that that's like a warning sign to the other characters that this is what we could become. This is maybe what, you know everyone's doing st- stuff for themselves rather than. And I think that's what makes the ending so effective with Peter. Is he he kind of gives up. He's like he almost doesn't want to live if he can't have all these comforts that he had when he you know when society was up and running. He wants his TV. He wants his sofa. Yeah. He wants all all these things, all these material possessions, and he almost gives up to keep them. Or not keep them, but give up because he can't have them. There's no point in yeah. living without them. Uh, and then there's that heroic 
moment where he says, no, what life is still worth living. This isn't the important stuff. He learns what the movie's been kind of trying to teach us the whole time. And there's this ridiculous, I love it, but it's this ridiculous hero music starts playing as he starts kicking the zombies and he's clawing yeah. his way up to get to the <laughs> helicopter, which Francine's learned to pilot and he gets in and uh, he says, you know, this is how the movie ends. And I, I know we're jumping around all sort of weird order here, but mm. he says to her at the end, how much fuel have we got? It's like, not a lot. It's like, okay then. But, you know, yeah. I, I think what the movie's saying there is you keep fighting. You don't know how much you've got left. You don't know how long you've got mm. left to live, but you keep fighting anyway. It's about survival. It's about living on, not knowing. But it's worth taking the chance. It's worth, you know, I, I think I oh, think yeah. the ending, the, given how depressing this potentially is, at the end where he mm-hmm. almost commits suicide, I actually think the ending's got a really hopeful kind of message where it's like, no, you keep fighting oh, yeah. because there's a chance that things could be okay. Yeah, and uh, I was looking at the Wikipedia entry for this, uh, trying to see maybe if there was some like interesting facts or anything about it, and uh, they did have a small section about an alternate ending, um, I guess, where... I, I did hear about this, actually, where he did but... commit suicide. Yeah, uh, actually, both... It's kind of crazy, because it's both Peter commits suicide by shooting himself, uh, which... Yeah, makes sense because he's you know surrounded by the zombies and stuff. They're coming at him. He has his gun. Uh, but then what I thought was really weird is that Francine also commits suicide by like just kind of like falling forward into the helicopter blades, like yeah. which seemed really <laughs> strange. But uh, think, I'm glad they didn't didn't go with. I'm glad that as ending. well, especially since Night has such a depressing ending, and right. it's very much the end of. I, I like the idea that here it's about no, we can learn and we can actually. Mm-hmm like better ourselves because like i say I, th- I think i think the movie's kind of implying the reason why all this even happened in the first place and we don't really know where, where it came from because we're, we're talking about a satellite in the first one <laughs> like maybe yeah. it had something to do with it uh but like you know the idea that because we're so obsessed with all these things that don't matter all these other bad things happen instead and it's yeah it's, it's kind of often what you talk about uh even today like stuff's happening in oh, congress yeah. because you, people aren't really paying attention to it uh, mm-hmm. And they just let it happen because they're not, you know, they're not being vocal and whatever. And it's still mm-hmm. kind of relevant, much like the first movie. There's a lot of relevance in here and what's 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 being said, even if yeah. physical possessions are, you know, not as big as they used to be because a lot of stuff is digital now. Uh, mm-hmm. Doesn't apply to everything, obviously. You know, you can get a digital bed, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. you know. But uh, I mean, I think. Uh, and and I even have this problem. I, I bet you can probably relate to it too. But like even with digital stuff now, I, I find myself hoarding like oh, yes. you know digital comics and you know it's hey, the maybe sale. I- it's the it's actually one of the first things you see in the mall when it cuts inside is you see like mannequins. They've got like sale tags on them. So it was a sale, and it's like oh it's a sale. Like oh we can splurge. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think we're all guilty of it. And I I don't think the movie's meant to make you feel bad that you do any of this. It's just it's just a. No. It's like a warning to say, like, just keep your eye on things that are important as well. There's nothing wrong with enjoying these things. Because even like, the characters in the movie do enjoy it for a, a time. And it's yeah. actually, the, the turning point is that it's after after Roger dies and they have that romantic dinner and uh, Peter comes in and like, pours the champagne. He's like, no, no, this isn't for me. This is just you two. You know, I'm not a third wheel. You, yeah. you two have your nice moment. And Stephen proposes... And that's kind of the turning point for me because she says no, and not not because she doesn't love him, but because no, because it wouldn't be the real thing because we couldn't actually go and get married like you know you would before, and that's almost kind of the realization I think for the characters that yeah, as much as we are doing this, it's not the real, it's not real. Like she realizes it's all just kind of like dressing and not it's ignoring the rest of the world and just being her own bubble instead of yeah. actually dealing with the problems that are going on. Um, so again, and, I like it. So much of it has weight behind it. There's so much subtext yeah. going on. It's good stuff. 
And it's a good uh, juxtaposition between the bikers at the end. Like, uh, there's this great scene where one of them, you know, kind of like picks up this like TV and the other one's like, what do you need that for? And he's like, yeah, you're right. And he just throws it at another TV and then like takes like a like hammer and just like (laughs) smashes it. It just like, uh, you know, it's a nice scene of showing like, oh, like, yeah, see the the bad guys here, like you know they'll actually destroy stuff you know if they don't need it as opposed to you know the people that you know are preserving it and sharing it and yeah, you know, yeah. using it amongst themselves there's a obviously it's destructive in the, the obvious sense because you're destroying them but it's just destructive mm-hmm. behavior in the sense that it's you're not leaving mm-hmm. anything behind for anyone else you're just kind of using things up and it's just it's going yeah. to you're going to have to leave nothing left for anyone uh, and so i mean you could almost argue there's a very slight, but almost an environmental message in there about... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, not. just preserving the world as a whole, and, you know, if not society <laughs> itself, then the, the planet, uh, before yeah. we all, you know, boil alive. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm boiling, it's bloody warm. I hate summer. Uh, <laughs> so now, um, you know, talking about the, you know, the themes and everything's great, but I do want to move on uh, to the what zombies. Have, what, what if I have more themes, Tim? You're rushing uh. me ahead here. I've got oodles of themes to talk about <laughs> oh well please go if you have anything else you'd like to say no i'm done okay i'm sure I'll, talk... I'll probably think of something later but yeah go on yeah we're gonna, we'll bounce around all over the place uh... Uh, but <laughs> i did want to talk about the actual zombies i i like that yeah again if we're going in real time obviously this movie takes place like you know years after night um but i i like that the zombies almost like you know in night of the living dead they still look mostly like humans you know maybe like the they're like a little messed up towards the end and stuff and i like here that it doesn't feel like they're too far off like they're not fully decayed zombies but you're starting to notice like Mm. you know they are getting a, a little more like blue in, in the face and so, some like... look better than others. I, I I do actually. I mean, if I'm going to bring up a criticism and I'm going to mm-hmm. bring up one, mm-hmm. is that because I think I think with Knight, the one criticism I could pick up there was some weird edits. That was my one cri- critique of Knight. Mm-hmm. With Dawn, my one critique is that some of these zombies and um, effects, like the makeup effects, mm-hmm. don't look that great. Like, and at least in the sense. Like, they look great in terms of function. Like, you know, the baiting mm. and things ripping off looks good. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. like, the colour of the blood and some of the, like, things... And the, the blue paint on the faces, some of that is just a little bit off-looking to me. Uh, I wonder, was... I, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but was Jalo uh, really established yet? Seventy-eight. Yeah, because Suspiria was before okay. this. Suspiria was 77, I think. So yeah, I, I, and that wasn't first, that, but like um, that's like, the big example everyone thinks of. So yeah, because I, I wonder if like that plus you know um like Argento's you know involvement and stuff. I wonder if that had any influence. Uh, yeah, the blood's on very it. yeah. The blood reminds me of the sort of blood you'd see in those movies. Actually, that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Even some of the music, even though the music was changed for the Italian release, some of the music in this <laughs> already feels like it belongs in a in a yeah. giallo movie. Uh, some of which I like a lot. Actually, it's got some good music. Um, yeah. but, and uh, then, um, yeah, and then mentioning you know earlier Tom Savini, uh, you know obviously he's one of the bikers in this, but you know doing the special effects as well. And I, I don't know, I'm not sure if this is his first movie, 
Um, but I, I do know. think like, you know, like you said, once it kind of starts to get towards like the final act and the zombies are really going crazy and you see them like ripping out people's intestines and just biting and tearing off skin. I, I think the special effects get really good at that yeah. point. Oh yeah, and I agree that they're all better towards the end when things are just going complete chaos. It's um it's the opening it's just when the SWAT team are going around doing stuff, like some of the zombies I thought looked a yeah. bit rough. Uh, the blood color never gets better, though. That is one thing that's kind of sticks around mm-hmm. for the whole thing. Is it just looks? It looks more like red paint than it does blood. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I definitely get the criticism. It doesn't bother me that much, but uh, oh, I, it, I, I, I I know it it it's it's noticeable for sure. Yeah, it, it's it's not that like it doesn't ruin the movie for. It. I think this is a masterpiece. Oh, no, yeah, like no. I I think I think of it that highly, um, and that'll be reflected when we get to scores. But mm-hmm. I. I it's just every time I watch it, there's always that moment the f- I first see some blood coming out of someone, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I need to remember that the blood looks like this," because <laughs> it doesn't look, it just doesn't look real. I guess is is what I'm saying. Uh, but that's okay. That's okay. It's, it's, the, it's the everything else makes the movie. So it's funny actually, because and in the cut, there's always a cut in the middle because uh, the, the recording software gets a little bit iffy if you go too much beyond thirty minutes. Um, I, I happened to bring up Tom Savini's page just to just to see if it was his first uh, makeup job. It wasn't. Interestingly, he had an uncredited uh, special effects uh, job on Dead of Night, but the first one after that mm. was actually Martin. Oh, okay. He did the effects for Martin, and then it was Dawn oh. of the Dead. Uh, nice. So, so it was early in his career, but because uh, all the all the other ones I could think of, which was you know Friday the Thirteenth, mm-hmm. uh, for uh, four specifically. Um, I think I did the first one as well. Well, he's not credited here for that. He must be have a different uh, credit. Maybe that's in the makeup department. He's credited for that. That probably makes mm-hmm. some sense. Nah, because uh, I. This is the problem with this type of effects work. It's it's, it's credited as so many different. Mm-hmm. As so many different things, but hey ho. Yeah. Um, I mean. Needless to say, he's worked on a lot of great oh, he has, horror yeah. movies. He's uh, obviously uh, one of the, the key names when it comes to the practical like makeup gore effects and yeah. uh, movies. So, what? What? Yeah, what, yeah. Obviously, we've talked about the themes. We've talked about uh, talked about the zombies and the, the subtext and all that stuff. Uh, what? And to appoint the characters, and one of the things I love. Uh, is it, when you strip all that away, like, like I said, you know, mm-hmm. just the idea of the movie's fun, like the idea of the being the small and the survival elements, where they're, they're thinking and strategizing about, uh, you know, where to block things up. Can we empty them all out mm-hmm. and have it for ourselves? Can we do all this stuff? And all that stuff is a lot of fun to watch. It's very, yeah. I, I think the the weird side effect that has though is the movie actually isn't that scary. It's not that creepy mm-hmm. even because it, it does take this completely different approach to it, where it's more about. Like I say, the strategy of survival, the, the creepy first instance of it was night. Like, that was the, holy mm-hmm. shit, the horror of this happening to us. Whereas this was more, okay, we need to try and survive now that we know this is a thing. The, the yeah. idea of these things being around is kind of normal now for these people. They understand, yeah. maybe not understand, but they expect them now. Um, even yeah. if, obviously, there's good tense scenes where there's people almost shooting each other and all sorts of things, yeah. but... But I, I feel like it especially comes into play like towards the end when you like have like uh, bikers like throwing pies in the zombies' face and the music gets like real goofy for a little bit. Well, yeah, that was the other thing though is that these bikers like uh, treat all this as a joke. They don't take any of it seriously, oh, yeah. uh, and I think that's another sort of thing that adds into some of the the commentary here is that if you don't take anything seriously, 
Um, <laughs> like, because all all these bikers, most of them end up dying. Like the, the this is just like yeah. this again. This is part of the, the the just the other people that come in and ruin everything. Um, actually, one of my points actually that I made earlier about uh, Stephen making the choice to fight back when he didn't have to, and because he was you know being greedy and possessive of what he what he has. Is that the act? This was actually after the, the team already decided they're going to leave because because oh, yeah. they end up having like this fight uh, while they're having dinner about like mm-hmm. turning the TV on and off, and she gets really pissed at him, and she's like, "What have what have we done? Like we're here and we're miserable." And it cuts to them like loading up the helicopter with like ammunition and stuff, and you know she gets taught how to fly. That that, that resumes, and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, we're planning on leaving again. We can't just stay here forever. They realize that they can't just live in a bubble. Uh, yeah. So that makes his choice after the fact to then defend what he built even more kind of bittersweet because he'd already kind yeah. of accepted that he had to move on, but he still couldn't live with the fact that these people were coming in and taking what was his. Yeah. So I think that's that's a big thing. So. Yeah. And uh, speaking of the TV, real quick, uh, I like yes. the way they utilized it in this movie. Like we talked about how in night, you know, they had the you know constantly going to like the news report and and it felt very much of its time and this felt very much uh you know of the you know nine late 1970s where you're starting to get into that kind of like political arguing kind of like news broadcast kind of thing like every time they cut to the tv it you know you have those like you know two pundits kind of yelling at each other and yeah, it's like you, a nice. Uh... You, the scientist with the eye patch, who basically, yeah. as the movie goes on, just suggests more and more extreme action to the point where he's suggesting to just nuke the big cities <laughs> yeah. uh, towards <laughs> towards the end. And I, I think what that made that work really well is it basically shows how the rest of the world's breaking down around them. Like they're in their bubble and they're kind of safe in this mall, but outside, this is what's going on. And we see the like the entire like there's a guy on TV suggesting to nuke the major cities <laughs> in the US. What I think's yeah. funny though is the characters do mention that they're, they're trying to like go to Canada, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, is, is this just a US problem? Like, is it? They never I actually say. Maybe That'd the same day. Maybe in Day of the Dead, we'll, we'll get like a little comment that implies that the rest yeah. of the world's already screwed as well. But that's uh, it's an interesting idea, especially since it's not like it's not like Canada's like got water between it and the US. Like, yeah. surely <laughs> the zombies can just you know uh, over the line. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Border Patrol's not that not that much. Maybe this universe has a wall. You know, maybe. Uh, <laughs> you know, everyone saw about a wall for Mexico. The <laughs> wall, wall for the north. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that'd be kind of interesting though, because I don't know if, at least off the top of my head, I can't really think of too many zombie movies that like take a a, a big global approach to it. Most of them always feel very like localized in very specific spots. Yeah, World of War Z obviously sticks out in my head as oh yeah, that yeah. goes globe trotting a bit. Um, yeah. actually, my final point on that TV thing uh, beyond oh. it climaxes the last time we get. Uh, one of the uh, the segments where he's like on TV. It's actually as he's saying, "Oh, we should just nuke everywhere." That's mm-hmm. when Roger uh, zombifies finally. That's when he's like sitting up oh, in yeah. the bed. It's like they're watching that in another room as he's mm-hmm. sitting up in the bed. It's a great, great sequence, and it's almost like with his death, the entirety of civilizations went with him. It's just a nice yeah. thematic little link that just makes it makes it feel like that's just climaxed at the same time, and the, the whole movie's very tightly structured which is probably why the extended cut feels like the pacing is a bit too lax like yeah clearly he he took out what he thought he needed to take out to make the pacing tight and uh and yeah i do i do like that um you know a couple of people do get bit in this movie and obviously you know at this point there hadn't been a ton of zombie movies so it's not really like you know 
cli- much cliches at this point, but I do like that no one did that thing where, you know, they're trying to hide it or, you know, they're like everyone like is aware of what's going to happen, you know, in the situation. Yeah, because like Roger basically realizes that it was kind of his fault and he decides to help for as long as he can. Yeah, and just he, he just asked for him to shoot him, make sure I don't turn into one of those things. He just asked for that, and then that's it. So it's a very simple scene. It's actually kind of amazing that in what is not the first zombie movie, but this is this would have been the first zombie movie that we could have had that cliche, and mm-hmm. you wouldn't have blamed it for it because it's you know kind of the first time it, it would have yeah. happened, I, I think. But <laughs> he like the fact that Romero didn't do that, and it's something that almost every single zombie movie decides to do now. And it's not always yeah. bad, of course. Like sometimes it's handled very right. well. Yeah. But uh, no, nah, you're right. No, no, they don't do that, which is which is interesting. If we're talking about like you know specific scenes that stand out to us, oh, um, go on, shoot. So, uh, and and it's kind of funny because I feel like each movie has this kind of thing. Like when I think of Night of the Living Dead. You know, the first thing that always pops up to me is, you know, the arms, like, breaking through the, you know, boards. Uh, Which does happen and, again in this at the start yeah. when the SWAT team's going through the building. But uh, the the scene that always sticks out uh, in my head for Dawn uh, has got to be the elevator. Just those doors opening and then just the people rushing in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know what my, my sort of number one... Honestly, the zombie that always pops out in my head is the helicopter one who gets his head oh, ro- yeah. rotted off. Great. Uh, that, that one yeah. always sticks in my head. Uh, that scene's also notable because the other zombie who, like, the bald one, is actually the one from the poster who walks into the, the little oh right yeah. the, the little store. He, he, that's the one from the poster. <laughs> so I always <laughs> like seeing him. He actually looks really good because he's got part of his face like, lopped off. So he, he looks more <laughs> like what I'd think of when I think of a zombie as opposed to just this yeah. kind of blue bluish paint that some of them have got on. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, that's also a scene, a... by the way, in which Peter Ken Faree, the actor, had to shoot two kids. I mean, they're zombies, oh, yeah. but he, he has to mow down two kids in that scene. That, that's hardcore. I I love him so much. He's such a badass. Oh, he's uh, great. Yeah. Did we do we just do another movie he was in recently? I, I don't think so. Am, am I wrong? All right. Yeah. Uh, someone else. Do you know what the weirdest thing? Actually, the first time I ever watched this when I was a teenager. Is there was like a moment of realization, like halfway through, when I went, "Holy shit, that's Keenan's dad from Keenan and Kel." Because <laughs> in that, he's just this goofy dad, yeah. you know, wears glasses, and he's just kind of always is like kind of annoyed at his kids, like, and it's like, "Holy shit, yeah. he's shooting zombies and <laughs> popping one-liners and all sorts mm-hmm. of things." I like how how practical he is. He's very strategic. He's the one who's kind of driving all the. He's very smart when he sees other mm-hmm. people doing the wrong things. Like he, he's very quick to like sort things out and keep things going another small thing with the characters that i i really appreciate uh is there there is a little bit of like sexism addressed in the movie like mm-hmm. a- after the first time like the it's it's just peter and roger at first that go out and they get supplies but then eventually steven also sort of trips out he almost gets killed by the zombie there's that scene where he's he's got one bullet and he's just clicking through the chambers until he fires it and he yeah. does eventually get the headshot but he ends up going out and he ends up working with them to get stuff back and it's this, it's almost exciting, they're almost enjoying it because it's like a thrill. Yeah. Uh, and meantime there's this zombie, this bald zombie who gets into the, the stairway and gets up to Francine and she's under attack okay. and she's like climbing out the you know the, the window and she's they save her obviously, they, they come in and they, they deal with it but afterwards she's like sitting on her own in the dark she's kind of broken by this, this just this experience 
and the three guys are in the other sort of room talking about what to do. Should we stay here? We should try to do this. We should try to do that. Excluding her from the conversation. Uh, and they also bring up, uh, Stephen specifically brings up that she's pregnant. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're like, and Peter even offers like, you know, do you want rid of it? Like, I know how to do that. How does he know how to yeah. do that? That's, that's a good <laughs> question. Like, how, how medical medical speaking is he talking here? Or is he, is he, yeah. or is he just talking about a good swift kick to the gut? Like, what? Oof, he, I don't know. <laughs> what exactly is he meaning by that? I'm no. not sure. But, so they, they bring this up and like, now the funny thing is, is that Steve, we see Stephen's response to that where he just kind of like puts his head down and it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a no, but it's kind of, he doesn't say it though, mm-hmm. but she's in the other room, she can hear it and she doesn't hear a no. Because obviously if, she, if he just shakes his head, she can't hear that. And he yeah. goes into the room afterwards and she's, she brings up what they were just talking about. It's like, oh, do you want your, like she's, she's pissed at him. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like, well, do you? Uh, it's just this awkward thing. It's, it's, and it's kind of basically what they're asking each other there is, is there a future for the world? Mm-hmm. Because if there's no future, we really shouldn't bring a kid into it. Yeah. yeah that's, that's kind of what I was getting from that. But when I talk, when I'm talking about like, the sexism coming up, it's the following scene when it's the next morning, they, they've been up on the roof like planning th- things, they come back down, and she cracks a joke about, oh, I made coffee and breakfast for you. But then she like, goes on to say, look, I'm not going to be your head mother in here. I'm not going to be the woman doing all the cooking and stuff while you three are doing stuff. There's four of us. I'm going to be involved in the plans. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And do not treat me different because I'm pregnant. Like she she puts it all out in the, the line. Mm-hmm. And my favourite thing about that is, one, it's addressing, again, this idea that you've got a microcosm, kind of like in the first you know night where you mm-hmm. had this racial tension between two of the characters. You know, there's only like four or five characters, but there's this racial tension between them. Here you're addressing sexism and Peter immediately just goes... Fair enough, and that's that's it. Like it just, yeah, we don't have time for that bullshit. That's just, mm-hmm. uh, and I like, but I like that it's brought up that because there there is almost this expectation that mm-hmm. they'll go out and deal with the problems, and she'll stay and be safe and do do things. But obviously, when we get to the point where they're actually trying to kill all the zombies and they're chasing throughout, she's got she's, she's running around with a gun belt as well. Like, and she's she's learning to fly the helicopter. She's be, she's doing she's being useful in a lot of different ways. She, she's asserting herself and she's being a proper part of the team which is what she wanted she didn't want to feel like she's this this you know the housewife who's not going off in danger mm-hmm. so i yeah, appreciate and, that yeah and it's just an, like a great example and you know we mentioned it a lot during night but romero just really like was ahead of his time like you know with like with these you know social issues and you know presenting like very real like strong characters and just you know being able to really reflect like you know these minority characters and you know female yeah, so characters as being like strong independent it's another point yeah we've got another black main character with Ken Faree mm-hmm. so like you know again and again I don't think Day does have a black character but I don't know if he's maybe is like you know because I think I think Peter here and then Ben in the first movie I think they're very definitely they're just kind of the main one yeah right? whereas in the day it's a bit more murky but um, but but all of them have this sort of black guy and uh, female kind of mm-hmm. like dynamic going for them. Although this one's a bit more even in the sense that you, you kind of feel like all four of them. Like it's really a, an ensemble yeah. with the four of them. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it, again, it's definitely a factor here where it's you know mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't as shocking in seventy eight as it was in sixty eight. It'd been ten years obviously, but <laughs> it, it's still something he's driving forward. It's still something that's there. Um, yeah. So. So no. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Don Don is fantastic. Obviously, there's a lot of fun little things. One of my favorite little moments, um, and the it's it's when just when uh, Roger and Peter are starting to enjoy themselves when they're running around in the department store, and Roger decides to slide down the middle of the escalators. Oh yeah, 
Uh, and ever since I've seen that, I've been like, I want to do that. I really want to slide down that middle bit of escalators. Um, now you couldn't do it in all of them. Some of them have little bumpy bits, like with signs on mm. them and stuff. You couldn't do it in all of them, but yeah, I, I do fancy it. <laughs> fancy it yeah you're like why don't you find a big slide because they're meant for sliding the thrill of this is that this is not meant for sliding but i can do it anyway yeah there's a weird like level of like wish fulfillment in this so you don't really see in a lot of other horror movies like you know mostly horror movies are all about you know trying to like uh you know like come to or like you know, facing some type of I don't know, evil or fear or something. Yeah, that's it's facing a chasing. fear, inner demon, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And then this is like one of the like a rare example where it's kind of like, ooh, like no, they're doing stuff like I want to do. <laughs> yeah, like this actually kind of yeah. looks fun. It's just like it's wish fulfillment, but it's also a case of be careful what you wish for. In fact, obviously, mm-hmm. to ultimately wrap up the the commercialism and again, much like the first movie, using the zombies as a metaphor for something, ultimately. Our heroes get away, or two of them do. They get away, they decide, no, we, we can't just stay in the bubble. Mm-hmm. And that's what, as all the zombies are getting back into the mall, like they wanted. It's almost like the zombies, much like the people were fighting for the same thing. But mm-hmm. the living people, the people who are alive, and the people who have a future, are the ones who realise to give it up. And the zombies, the brainless, undead, just, you know, monotonous, walking around idiots, mm-hmm. are the ones <laughs> who keep a hold of the mall. They're the ones who still want to be there. Smarter people yeah. realise, human beings realise, you have to go and do other things, but... It's the it's the mainless automaton zombies that uh, still want them all. <laughs> They're like they yeah can't like give up the past or their desire or greed or whatever. They're and they're yeah. dead as a result. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so no, uh, so no, fantastic, fantastic film. I I think the pacing again for being a two two hour plus horror movie, the pacing is excellent. Um, it has good character dynamics. Uh, the relationship between all four characters is very interesting. Um, I, I don't think there's a single pairing between the four. You know, if you you know match different pairs, where the, where the dynamics not at least interesting to a point. You know, yeah. Um, it was Flyboy and Peter having that tension at first, but then growing closer. Um, Francine with everyone has this different relationship, um, and it's really interesting at the end where they, they do get away, and it's kind of like it's th- that pair that survived. It's not. It's not. Like you know, it wasn't the, not husband and wife because they're not married, but it wasn't the but couple. That yeah, survived. like the couple, or yeah. it, you know, it, it wasn't the the two comrades. It, it's it's the two people who didn't know each other at the start mm-hmm. that ended up surviving together. Uh, and it, and the funny thing is, is I think looking at the movie and looking at their attitudes, those are the two who typically spoke the most sense. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Peter's the one who constantly realised what was dangerous, even though he did want to stay in the mall. And Francine was yeah. the one. No, we can't just stay here forever. We have to keep moving. Like it's almost like they had the, at least part of the right mindset from the, the word get go, and because of that, they're the ones who ultimately survived. But uh, maybe I'm just going too too much at that point. I don't know. But no, I, I definitely get what you're saying. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. And then um, and yeah, and like you said, I I like the you know, I mentioned a little earlier, like the ending is kind of like oddly hopeful, and you know, even tying it in with like you know the titles you know like dawn it's kind of you know as horrific as the movie itself is you know dawn it's kind of like the promise of a new day you know it's kind of like a, it's a little hopeful like oh you know hey what's to come um, yeah which i think is nice. maybe partly why i don't like to think of these three movies as being in the same universe because i feel like having mm-hmm. day of the dead kind of almost shits on the hopeful ending of Dawn. So it's just nice to bit, kind of yeah. think about it as its own thing. 
and maybe these mm-hmm. characters do get out okay and there, there, there is like a hopeful chance of survival not that you need yeah. to know that they survive that's kind of the point is you don't know like it's completely open-ended in that sense but mm-hmm. uh yeah. but no it's uh it's it's, it's it's delightful classic it's a classic <laughs> for a goddamn reason it's a classic because it it basically sets in stone a lot of the ideas of what a zombie is um, mm-hmm. it's full of the satire full of the social commentary it's full of just a fun concept where it's like whereas mm-hmm. the first first movie's a great horror movie concept where it's creepy and you're trying to survive in a house as they're coming for you this is the, the fun of having a fort and having your own little secret passages and mm-hmm. um, planning against the attack and having the foresight like, to do so so yeah like night feels very much like a um, this is how you survive while dawn feels like this is how you live a very good way of putting that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and I wonder if we watch Day and we'll see this is how about how you die. This is, this is how you die with honor. Is that what Day's about? I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. Maybe we'll watch that and we'll see that kind of. But yeah, yeah. Nate's about surviving, and Dawn's about. I'm, I'm going to rephrase it. It's about being okay. worthy of surviving. Oh, that's good. I like that. There you go. There we go. <laughs> Let's do some ratings, Tammy. I think I think, I think right. we've wrapped that up nice and a neat, nice, neat bow. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm going to do go first, Tim. I'm just going to okay. I'm just going to give it to you first. Ten out of ten. Okay. Now, <laughs> if you remember, let's give a little, quick little preamble, and it's going to be spoilers for for our night review. If you remember what my score at the end of that was, is I I gave it a nine point five, and the only reason why I gave night a nine point five was because. I also think Dawn is a 10 out of 10. And that's, uh, yeah, like if I'm comparing the two, I love them both, but Dawn just like, you know, squeaks by just a little bit for me. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's, you know, I, I, one of the movies, like it's, you know, I'm probably watching it, you know, at least once a year. It's um, usually like sometime in October, I'll, I'll like to rewatch it, but it, it's great. It's like, this is got to be like the best zombie movie ever made it's amazing i think that sums it up uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i i love dawn i i can't say enough nice things about it uh yeah. i you know i have one you know visual complaint about the blood looking like shit but that's mm-hmm. like ultimately that is the physical just fancy thing on the cover the the actual meat to the potatoes is mm-hmm. the as the as the characters, it's a story, it's the subtext, it's the setting, it's all these things and the story it tells. So mm-hmm. there we go. That's Dawn of the Dead. We'll be back, not the next episode, but sometime next week with Day of the Dead. So thank you very much for watching. Let us know what you think of Dawn of the Dead in the comments below. Like, subscribe, all that stuff. Helps us out a lot. Get us on Twitter at mailed underscore fuzz for channel updates. If you want to support the channel, head over to patreon.com slash TV. You can support us over there and uh, maybe get some bonuses, uh, build us towards some other goals to get some more content. But uh, that is us. So once again, thank you very much for watching, guys. Keep watching scary movies. And when there's no more room in hell... The dead will walk the earth.